Welcome to the CSIS Podcast. I'm Colin Quinn. In October 2001, America went to war in Afghanistan, and almost 16 years later, it's still there. And the prospects for leaving anytime soon don't look too promising. The Independent Inspector General for Afghanistan Reconstruction noted this week that less than two-thirds of the country was in fact under government control, and that the Taliban is resurgent. That resurgence was gruesomely on show this week when a bombing in the capital, Kabul, killed 38 people. As of this time next week, the war is going to be in the hands of its third president. And so this week, we hear from Anthony Cordesman on the prospects for the country and what the US focus will be on as a new administration takes charge. I think one of the problems is we don't know how large a focus it will have, but we have a very good idea of the focus it should have. The Taliban did not make major or critical gains last year, but it is obviously a very major threat. It is not moving towards peace negotiations. It's not exhausted. New threats like ISIS or ISIL are becoming an issue. Outside countries like Russia and Iran are playing a more negative role. Things have not improved with Pakistan, and it's obvious in several ways that the U.S. military support and advisory mission is not adequate with its current resources that you have a very divided and corrupt Afghan government, which is undermining public support, and you have the World Bank and the International Monetary Fund issuing extremely sharp warnings that the withdrawal of NATO and U.S. forces, cutbacks in aid, have caused a really serious economic crisis for the Afghan people. And so where where should the new administration start? Is it in adding more resources to troops? Is it more of a civilian effort? Well, the problem is you can't truly prioritize. We do, I think, need to shift the military support mission to one that is not seeking to get out as quickly as possible with a whole set of deadlines that don't relate to the conditions in the war, to providing a truly adequate train and assist mission, possibly limited increases to the counterterrorism mission. And this isn't major forces on the ground, but it may be several thousand more military personnel. And if we want the Afghan forces to survive and have any real chance of succeeding, we're going to need to provide far more effective air support. Right now, we're carrying out something like 20 times more strikes in Iraq and Syria than in Afghanistan. But Afghanistan has far fewer forces relative to the threat and far harder problems in deploying and reallocating forces because of its mountains and its terrain. But as you look at it, you also have a deeply divided government. We've seen from public opinion polls a truly drastic cut 
in public support in this last year, a sharp rise in fear of safety on a broad level, a constant concern for corruption, something like 75% of the Afghan people see this as a major problem, and it's rated as the third most corrupt country in the world. That's critical, and it's also critical because instead of having aid reduce poverty or create new economic incentives, the World Bank and other sources indicate that poverty has been growing since about 2008. There's a massive problem with malnutrition, particularly for children. You have drastic problems in employment, and you have many better educated and skilled Afghans leaving the country. Yeah, and I mean, I think Afghanistan up until last year was the highest uh, source of refugees for, for any country. Um, when it comes to civil society then, in terms of, I suppose, cleaning up that, that kind of mess, where should it start and what role does the U.S. play? I think that the problem is, and we've already begun to do this in the military dimension, anti-corruption measures can help. But formal prosecutions in an Afghan political system easily turn into symbols or scapegoats or simply internal warfare between power brokers and factions. What we've begun to do in the military dimension is simply shut off the money if it's corrupt or it's wasted. I think if that isn't done in the economic area and in providing aid to governance, Basically, you can't see a move towards stability unless the U.S. basically puts intense pressure. There won't be meaningful legislative elections, and we're already a year behind in trying to provide meaningful leadership in a government divided between a president, Ashraf Ghani, and a so-called chief executive officer, Abdullah Abdullah, who really won't work together. This structure requires conditionality and pressure because any alternative simply gets false promises or people use reform more as a weapon against each other than as a means of having serious progress. And I mean, you've called this war the forgotten war, the war in Afghanistan. Do you think that there's enough people that actually care about it in Washington in a uh, decision-making capacity, that this kind of pressure that you're saying needs to be put on could actually be put on? Well, to be very realistic at this point, the answer has to be no. There's not been really any serious pressure from Congress. They voted more money, but they don't seem to care how it's spent, with the exception of the Inspector Generals and the Special Inspector General for Afghan Reconstruction. The Congress really is doing nothing to ensure that the money actually achieves its goals or to ensure that you're providing enough military resources to actually win. You certainly don't have leadership coming in any broad level. The State Department and USAID essentially aren't even really reporting. 
on their activities in any meaningful way. There are no measures of effectiveness. There's no real strategy or plan. The civil and military efforts aren't integrated. So, and at this point in time, they've stopped reporting as part of the semi-annual report that's issued by the Department of Defense. Now it only covers the military dimension. And when you look at the Department of Defense, one key indication of priorities is that when you look at the priority topics on the Department of Defense website from the public affairs section, there isn't even a mention that the Afghan war is going on. So we talked about, we talk about success. We talk about what uh, winning the war would be after so many years and so much money spent and so much blood shed. What is winning in Afghanistan? What is acceptable at this point? Well, it's a very good question because I think one thing you have to remember is how badly a lot of that money was spent. The Afghans were part of the problem, but American and allied corruption was critical. Throwing vast amounts of resources at the problem without caring whether all of these resources would be used with any integrated and meaningful planning meant that we were at least as responsible for the waste. And certainly because of the way we sent so much money in, we created probably the vast majority of the kind of corruption that's bordered on being crippling. Now, there isn't going to be a sudden reform, but you can accomplish a lot relatively quickly simply by ensuring that the money is used more wisely and under tighter controls. When it comes down to winning, the immediate issue isn't some kind of victory. It is we're going to have a campaign season begin in the spring, as it has for the last decade and a half. You want to have the resources in place, the train and assist mission, enough people to embed with combat units. Now we don't even have enough to cover all of the much higher level headquarters like the Corps. You want to get in enough air support to basically give the Afghan forces some chance to go on the offensive and above all to protect themselves because the Taliban, another threat, can pick and choose where to attack. And the army and a very tiny air force has to cover everything. But what is victory? Initially, victory is to put all of the population centers under enough protection so the Taliban can't take over a province or a major city. It is then to expand, to go on the counteroffensive. It is to secure enough of the country for the economy to really begin to function. And it is to allow Afghanistan to slowly transition to the point where it isn't constantly dependent on vast amounts of outside aid in ways which still leave massive numbers of people impoverished without proper food for their children or in urban slums because they've been driven off the land. 
Now, when it comes down to victory, victory means basically limiting these threats to levels people can live with and accept. It means putting the country back on the path to development. And it means that you phase out U.S. support over a period of years in ways which mean Afghanistan can credibly make the changes. Because when President Obama set deadlines, none of those made any attempt to really be based on what Afghanistan could do in military, political, or economic terms. Um, we've talked a lot about what the U.S. can do um, and should be doing. Uh, what about neighboring countries? Who should be leaned upon there um, to, to pick up more of the slack? Well, let's be realistic. When you're leaning on Pakistan, Iran, India, and Central Asian states, you're not going to be leaning on friends, and you haven't got very much leverage. When you're talking about getting support from Russia, well, Russia now, for the first time, is seriously talking to the Taliban. And U.S. and Russian relations are not, shall we say, leanable, if we can call that a verb. When you visit China, they talk about the international community, which in the real world is always a sort of way of saying, let somebody else do it. And they're focused much more on their own problems in Pakistan. We have had a great deal of support from European allies, Japan, and other countries. They are making a serious contribution, and a lot of that contribution might have some increases and certainly could be far more effective if the U.S. was really pressuring for conditional use of aid money and support in ways that push the Afghans into being effective. But if you want to win rather than simply lose and leave, you're going to have to take responsibility. That was Anthony Cordesman bringing us to the end of this week's show. I want to thank everyone who got in touch with me last week about what they'd like to hear on the upcoming shows. And as always, you can find me on Twitter or get me on email. It's cquinn at csis.org. We'll be back with more next week, so thanks for listening.